Welcome to City Temple in the live stream. This is just part of our entire worship service that we have here at City Temple. If you'd like to join us for our Sunday gathering, you're welcome to come here in person at City Temple, or you can join us via Zoom for the whole service. Just simply email us at info at city-temple.com and we will send you the login details. We are pleased and honored to continue to listen to Pastor Rod as he leads us in ancient words for a new day. If you have your Bible with you, let's turn to three places. Uh, first of all, to Proverbs 6, then Isaiah 5, and then Mark chapter 1. Uh, Proverbs 6, Isaiah 5, and uh, Mark chapter 1. And before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much that we can come together uh, to look at your word, to hear your word spoken to us. And we pray, Lord God, that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak your word into our hearts today. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would rest on me, that I could bring your word to your people today, boldly and faithfully, to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. In Proverbs chapter 6, we read verses 16 to 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. And then over to Isaiah, chapter 5, verse 20. Isaiah writes here and he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And then finally, over to Mark chapter 1. Verses 14 and 15. After John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good, in the gospel, in the good news. May God bless to us these readings from his holy word. Well, there was this young pastor one day and he just, he felt like, you know, I got to preach. I got to really preach today and I'm going to, I'm going to preach about sin. A uh, very popular topic, you know, when you're talking about sin. And so he started preaching about sin. And most, for the most part, the congregation was really quiet, as you might imagine. Except there was one guy. And this guy, he was, he, the pastor, he was preaching about sin. And the pastor would say, preach it, brother. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen to that. Amen to that. That's the way to say it, brother. Hallelujah. Preach it, preach it. I mean, he was going, and this young preacher, I mean, he was so inspired by at least this one voice, you know, 
he just kept going until about halfway through the sermon, the guy was quiet. And he just couldn't understand. And so he finished the sermon and everything. And, you know, obviously, he was, it's one of those churches where the guy goes to the back and everybody files past, you know, and, and greets him and, and, and all that. So the preacher was there and being greeted. And this guy walks by and, and the preacher said, hey, I just wanted to thank you. I mean, there was so much encouragement in, in, during my sermon. It really, really helped me a lot. And he said, but, but why, why did you stop? And the guy said, well, that's when you started getting personal. You know, we just, we don't like to talk about sin. Uh, and in fact, you know, for, for a long time, it really felt like a lot of people were just harping about sin and talking about sin all the time. But the problem is, and this is what I've learned in a lot of years, uh, even before I was a pastor, but certainly a lot of years in ministry, is that the sins that people like to talk about and the sins that people like to criticize are the ones they're not doing. You know, it's really easy to start watching the television and start picking out a bunch of sins that uh, other people are doing and say, oh, that's awful. Oh, that's terrible. All these people are, are awful. I know this, these people are going to go to hell. They're going to go to hell. And when it comes to our sins, we're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not all that bad. One of the things that's making me chuckle, I, I watch a, a TV program, and it's somebody that, you know, has maybe killed two or three or four people. You know, and, the, and the FBI or the cops or whoever is after this person, and they go and they like, they like visit his wife or his sister or his mother, something like that. And, they, and the, the wife, sister, mother says something like, oh, but, but Billy's not such a bad guy. And I'm like, the guy just killed four people. What is your definition of bad? But that's what we do, right? That's what we do. But we need to take sin seriously. We really do. Uh, not that it's our primary topic. Not that it's the thing that we're going to harp on all the time. And not that it's just the sins that we like to point out in other people. But overall, we need to take sin seriously. Because we are in a day, we are in a time, you know, we've been saying this, is, this series has been ancient words for a new day. We are living in a new day where sin is accelerating. Now you might think, oh, well, maybe, maybe I'm just seeing it more. You're seeing it more because there is more. I've really been struck. I, I've got a, a cheap discount subscription to one of the daily newspapers. I won't tell you which one. Uh, but uh, uh, this, And I've been reading the paper now on a fairly regular basis for about six months. And I have been really struck just in the course of reading stories of how people, the writers, just discount and disregard sin, things that are wrong, things that are sinful. Like, well, it's what we all do. It's what, what everybody does. And it's, it's just taken for granted that's, that that's what we should do. I was reading an article uh, just this past week where a woman that's been sleeping around quite a bit 
has decided that maybe she should, she should uh, uh, practice abstinence for a while. And I'm thinking, lady, you're just figuring this out. Now, and it's a hard thing. It's difficult to see. But there is an acceleration. There is an acceleration in our society. There is an acceleration in our world of sinful behavior and sinful activity. And so we need to take sin seriously. But at the same time, we have to walk a balance here. It's very interesting, a recent survey in the United States said that a majority of non-Christian people would love to hear about Christianity for, from a Christian. Very interesting. A majority, I mean, it's a 60, 70% majority, said that they would be willing to, to hear the testimony, hear about Jesus from a Christian with the, the, uh, the, the condition that that Christian be non-judgmental. Not somebody who's going to judge them, who's going to criticize them, who's going to look down on them. And yet, a majority, 70%, I think 72 or 73% of non-Christians do not know a non-judgmental Christian. It's a fascinating thing. So we've got to take sin seriously because we're living in a sin-saturated society. Whoa, that's a nice alliteration. We need to take it seriously. But how do you do it? What do we do? How do we approach it? Well, I want to suggest from the scriptures today three things that we need in order to take sin seriously. Three things. The first one is we need to distinguish good from evil. We need to distinguish good from evil. It's like Isaiah said in this passage, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now this is something that is happening in our world today. This is something that is happening in our society and really is accelerating calling good evil and calling evil good. Now, the word woe here is an expression of lamentation and sadness. And what Isaiah is saying here, what God is saying through Isaiah, is that if you confuse good and evil, the only outcome of that is going to be lamentation, crying out in sadness and brokenness. Because ultimately, that's where it will lead. That's where it will go. In order to distinguish good from evil and evil from good, we must understand that God himself is the only objective determiner of good and evil. God is the one who created the world. God is the one who knows. God is the one who created us to have life and have it to the fullest extent. And Jesus is the one who came and died on the cross that we might have life and live it to the fullest extent. So God knows what this is about. God is the one who determines it. And ultimately, good is that which will lead to life and which will lead to abundant life. And evil is something that will ultimately lead to death, will ultimately lead to destruction 
even if it feels good, even if it seems right. Evil indicates that which is wrong regarding God's original intention and that which is detrimental regarding its effects on people. Well, we need to embrace that and know that God is the one who knows this and he knows this because he created us. He designed us. And he didn't create us to not have life. He created us to have life to the full. And so we have to trust God in this. But this calling good evil and calling evil good is accelerating rapidly in our culture. And it's a sign that the general moral judgment of people in our society is decreasing. People are losing the ability. Now, if you want to see a recent example of this, all you need to do is look at the situation of Kathleen Stock. Maybe you've read about her story, a professor or former professor at Sussex University uh, who is quite liberal, uh, who is a fairly radical feminist, but she had the audacity to say that she believed that gender identity does not outweigh biological sex when, quote, it comes to law and policy, and that people cannot change their biological sex. And that's the position she took, and she was attacked so vehemently and so vociferously that ultimately she resigned from her position. Even though what she's saying actually was right. But in our society, that what could be good is called evil, and what is evil is called good. And this is happening amongst Christians as well. It's happening in churches as well. You know, I've seen a lot of Christians come out, especially Christians in the public eye, and come out and take positions on things that the Bible calls sin, but they say, no, this is not really sin. It's something that's good. And when that happens, the Bible says that there will be woe. When that happens, it's going to end in lamentation and heartbreak and brokenness. But we must, if we're going to take sin seriously, we must learn to distinguish good from evil. And it's something you got to learn, especially now. You can't take it for granted. You can't take it for granted that your children know what it is. You can't take it for granted that anybody knows the difference between the two, because the two are being very, very confused. Second thing, if we're going to take sin seriously, we need to discern what God really hates and what pleases God. Discern what God really hates. Now, that, that's not something you hear an awful lot. Most of the time, we talk about God's love, right? Now, and we talk about God's love because the Bible says, John, 1 John, God is love. And so, wow, that's great. And so the idea of hate and abomination with regard to God is not really a popular topic today. And you start talking about that and you envision somebody out on the street, you know, telling people they're sinners and God hates them and they're going to burn in hell 
but that's not what it's all about. If you really understand love, you will know that love always hates that which hinders or destroys love. Love always hates that which hinders or destroys love. If you say, if I say I love my wife, and then an attitude that she has is wounding me, and I'm not willing to deal with it, and I'm not willing to hate it, but I know that it's hurting uh, her love for me and my love for her, then I don't really love her all that much. If I say I love my child, and yet I, I see my child doing things that displease God, and I don't speak it to my child, now the children have to make their own choices. But if I don't point it out, am I that loving? You know, so when we talk about God hating things, God hates that which hinders love. God hates that, calls that an abomination, which hinders life as he's designed it, a life to live in connection with his love. And when we look at sin, and sin is that which hinders love, when we look at sin, we need to understand something about sin because We've heard this all, that people say, well, you know, all sin is the same. You know, it's, it's all sin. You know, one sin is not worse than any other sin. Uh, that's not biblical, by the way. It sounds good, but it's not biblical. And that's because we don't often recognize that all sin has the same effect, but all sin does not have the same affect. All sin has the same effect, but it doesn't have the same affect. Now, let me explain that. Uh, the effect of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So if you sin, you're dead spiritually. That's the outcome of sin. And it doesn't matter how big a sin it is. It's like taking poison. If you take cyanide, it doesn't really matter if you you know, you take a little sweetie size of cyanide or you drink a, uh, a liter of it, you're dead. Right? Sin is like that. So all sin has the same effect, that is, it leads to death. But all sin, God doesn't feel the same way about all sins. And nor do we. I mean, if I see child abuse or uh, the mistreatment of children, that makes me angry. And that would probably lead me towards sinning in a violent way because I want to protect children. When I see women being mistreated, it makes me angry. Uh, it's just something that rises up in me. Uh, if I see someone telling a lie, it annoys me. But I don't feel angry about it in the same way. And the same is true with God. So we need to understand what makes God really angry? You know, what, what, what does God hate? What does God call an abomination? Now, hate here, it's an emotional attitude toward persons and things which are uh, opposed or detested, despised. Uh, and, you know, if you hate something, you don't want to have any kind of contact with it. This word abomination here is something that's loathed. It's abhorred. It's detested. 
and ex excluded and subject to wrath. You know, and some things to God are an abomination. God hates some things. And we like to point out certain things that God hates, but most of the time, frankly, we get it wrong. Do you know what the Bible calls an abomination more than anything else? Dishonest weights and measures. In other words, a dishonest economy, an economy that is not fair, is the biggest abomination to God. That's an interesting dynamic. But in this passage here that we read in Proverbs, Solomon here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, points out six things, even seven, that God hates in our abomination. Uh, that's a stylized, poetic way of expressing this. So what are these sins? And it's interesting that he equates these sins with different parts of the body. I don't think it necessarily means that it's because those parts of the body are sinning in particular. It just it shows from your head to your feet how sin corrupts us and how sin can get us involved in what is an abomination to God. So what does God call an abomination? What does God really hate? If you want to stay on God's good side, what should you really not do? Well, he says the first thing here is haughty eyes. That's people who look upon other people, who regard others with a sense of superiority or contempt. If you look down on other people, if you look down on people from other races, if you look down on people from other stations in life, all of that, that kind of attitude of, I'm better than other people, that I should have my way and other people shouldn't, I should put myself first, all of that's haughty eyes. And God says, I hate that. I hate that. The second thing God really hates is a lying tongue. Now understand, a lie is not when you say something that you think is right, but it turns out to be wrong. That's not what lying is all about. Lying to God is something that is a willful distortion of the truth, especially if you do it for your own benefit or your own purposes. So where you're sloppy with the truth, where you use deception to betray other people. That's a lying tongue. And God hates that. God hates it when we're not truthful. God hates it when we're not ruthless with the truth. We need to be careful with what we write on social media. We need to be careful on, on what we put out there and make sure that we're dealing with the truth. Because God hates it when we're not speaking the truth. He hates it. The third thing, our hands that shed innocent blood. What's this? It's having malicious and cruel thoughts, words, or actions toward other people, especially people who have not done you any wrong. You know, all those people that were ganging up on Kathleen's stock, they were demonstrating hands that shed innocent blood. She just made a comment. She took a position, and everybody attacked her personally. Not just her position, but attacked her personally. Much of what happens on social media today 
represents hands that are shedding innocent blood. It's when you don't recognize how every single human being is created in the image of God. And so you allow yourself to deal with them as something that's kind of subhuman. God hates that. God hates it. God also hates a heart that devises wicked plans. It's where you spend time stirring up your heart, your imagination, or your thoughts toward iniquity. Where you start dreaming about doing something wrong. You know, maybe it's that coworker that you start thinking about having an affair with. Or maybe you start thinking about how you're going to bring down your boss because your boss has been so hard on you. Or you start struggling and, and thinking about, you know, what, what you can do to the government and, and all the things that you can post to really attack other people. That's a heart that devises wicked plans. God hates that. God also hates feet that make haste to run to evil. Now that's where we willfully jump into sin as opposed to just falling into sin, sinning with uh, joyful enthusiasm, jumping on the bandwagon of what other people are doing, what other people are saying. These are feet that make haste to run to evil. God also hates a false witness who breathes out lies, where you speak something that is not completely true about other people. Might be partially true. This is one of the great things in our society today. A lot of people have a tendency to say something that has a little bit of truth to it, but it's not really true. And they say only enough to make their point that the other person is bad and their position is right. Will you present a false picture of someone else, especially if it benefits yourself? You start spreading things online or in person about people that doesn't represent the best about them or that are not entirely true or proven. Much of politics is based on a false witness today. There was a time when politicians would disagree with one another vehemently, but they didn't have to do it by spreading falsehoods. And it happens a lot today. And of course, the last thing that God hates in this list is one who sows discord among brothers and sisters. This is someone whose actions and words harm the harmony and unity of those who live in brotherly affection. People who harm the wholeness of a community of people. People who like to quarrel a lot and fight a lot and be contentious. These are people who sow discord among brothers. I was reading about a, a pastor that I'm not very fond of in the United States, and I, so I will not name this person. But yet again, he's coming out criticizing other Christians, attacking other Christians, trying to bring down other Christians. People who are not doing him any harm, certainly people who are not doing this church any harm, but somehow he set himself up as the new uh, chief Pharisee, I guess, of American Christianity. And God hates that. God doesn't hate the person, but God hates that behavior. 
Understand, God hates it. A person who sows discord among brothers, God really hates. God calls these things an abomination. They are detestable to him. And the thing that gets me about this list, quite frankly, is I see just as much of this amongst Christians today as I do in society today. And if we're going to take sin seriously, we need to learn what God hates and don't do that. Learn what God hates and don't do it, as well as learning what pleases God. But you can kind of take all of these things that he hates and get the opposite, and you'll get a good idea of what pleases God. You know, humility, promoting harmony, telling the truth, seeking to help people and bless people and do good to people. These are the kinds of things that God loves. And we as Christians, we must be very, very careful because we cannot be telling the world about Jesus at the same time as doing stuff that God hates. And we need to become familiar. And the great thing about this, do you know what? The list is not that long. The list of things that the Bible says that God hates is not tremendously long. It's very easy to learn. And it's also important to understand here, when we talk about what God hates, you know what? God doesn't hate people. He doesn't hate you. He hates what's going on. And there are some situations where God does hate people. Don't get me wrong. But when you sin, God is not out to get you. God is not wanting to hate you. But God is determined that you will experience his love. And he is determined to remove everything that hinders love. So we need to take sin seriously. And to do that, we need to distinguish good from evil. We need to discern what God hates. Is that the word I use? Discern? Yep. Discern what God discern what God hates. And finally, we need to determine to repent and believe. And this is really the important bit. If you're going to take sin seriously, what did Jesus do? Here he is at the start of his ministry. What's what was he preaching? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news or the gospel. Gospel is simply good news. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And if we want to take sin seriously as God's people, not yes, we need to, we need to distinguish good from evil. Yes, we need to discern what God really likes and what God really doesn't like. But we need to deal with that sin in our own lives, and we deal with it first by repenting. Now, what does it mean to repent? Repent is simply confessing what you've done as sin, renouncing it, and replacing it with what is good from God. Confess it, renounce it, and replace it. So if, I'm, if I find myself 
telling a lie. And I didn't say, okay, God, I'm sorry. I told a lie here. I told a lie. I renounce lying. I want to tell the truth all the time. And so help me to replace my tendency to lie with always the tendency to be truthful. God, you know, you get caught up in maybe criticizing other people. I do that. I mean, I've done silly, stupid stuff. Like, uh, everybody knows that I get mad if people park in my in my parking spot in front of my house. But you know, I don't have a parking spot in front of my house, right? You know, it's on the street parking. And it just happens to be the one that's most convenient for me, but it's not like my name's on it. And so I used to get so upset. And, uh, and, I, and I, I just get annoyed. Actually, Karen get annoyed at me. And, uh, and so, so I just had to come to a point where I said, God, I'm really sorry. That is sin to get so upset at other people, who, especially because they haven't done anything wrong. That's like a hand shedding innocent blood. That's the sin that God hates. And so I said, God, I'm sorry that I've done this. I confess it's sin. I turn away from it. I renounce it. And I want to replace this with blessing people. And so now, if somebody's in my parking spot, I bless them, reluctantly, but I bless them, you know? And so that's what, that's what repentance is all about. And I use a silly example because we do need to be ruthless about repentance in our lives, even over silly things. So we say, God, I've sinned. God, I renounce it. I'm turning away from it. I'm turning my back on it. And God, I'm going to replace it now with some godliness. I'm going to replace it by doing good. So we've got to repent. We must repent if we're going to take sin seriously. And we have to take sin seriously today. But also, we need to believe the good news. Now let me tell you why a lot of people don't repent. And this is why a lot of people, even who are not Christians, don't repent. Because you know what? A lot of non-Christians know what they're doing is not right. They feel it in their hearts. They know that they shouldn't be sleeping around. They know that they shouldn't be cheating at work. They sense it. But they don't repent. Why? Because they don't believe good news. You will not repent consistently if you do not believe the good news. And what's the good news? That the kingdom of heaven is at hand in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ died on the cross, paying the price for our sin, rose bodily from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell, and is going to come again and restore this world to the world that God intended in the first place. And that God loves all people, and that Jesus died for all people, so that all people who might have faith in him could have life and have it to the full. That's the good news. 
And many times we focused on the bad news. We focused on how much God hates sin. We focused on how much God wants to get people, how much God wants to do things, uh, how people deserve hell, that we haven't focused on the good news. The reason why we repent is because there is good news. We repent from sin because we know there's something greater than sin. We repent from sin because we know sin destroys life, but Jesus gives life. We repent from sin because we know sin brings brokenness into our world, but grace through Jesus Christ brings wholeness into our world. We repent from sin because there is good news that when we repent, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is really good news. And the only way we can ever take sin seriously is if we take the good news even more seriously. The only way that we will ever live above the power of sin is when we believe that the good news is stronger than the power of sin. That the resurrection of Jesus is greater than the power of sin, death, and hell all combined together. When we realize that that is the gospel, that that is the good news, that that is what we're called to believe, that that is what we're called to share, that that is what we're called to live out, when we do that, we can live over sin. And sin becomes genuinely worthless. And it becomes easier and easier to repent from sin as we believe the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we take sin seriously. But we take sin seriously not so that we can hit the world over their heads with their sins. We take sin seriously not so we can stand on a street corner and scream out how bad people are. We take sin seriously not so that we'll all walk around dejected and down and, oh, you know, we're terrible people and everybody else is terrible too. We take sin seriously so that we can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ even more. We take sin seriously because we take the love of God for all people seriously. And we know that God wants to remove from everyone's life everything that hinders love if people will allow him. We take sin seriously because the power of sin is weak and puny compared to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the really good news. So let's take sin seriously so that even more joyfully we can share Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much. Thank you for what you do in our lives. Thank you that you have exposed 
how awful sin really is. Thank you that you have exposed that so many things that we think are good, that feel good, that seem good on the outside, are really detrimental to us, really bring brokenness. Thank you, Lord, that you've shown us how much you hate sin, what sins you call an abomination, so that we cannot do those things. so that we can walk in the forgiveness you've given us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Now, Father, I pray that you'd help us by purifying us. Once again, purify us by the blood of Jesus Christ, making us holy, so that we can live out the good news of Jesus Christ, so that people will look at us and see Jesus in us, so that people will see our lives and see lives that are not dominated by the power of sin. So that people can see us and see people who will not run to sin, who will not plunge themselves in the sin and muck of the world, but at the same time not live in judgment over others that find themselves in those situations so that people will see there's good news in us in the way that we live our lives toward them and toward one another. Move in our hearts, Lord God, by your Holy Spirit to the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's join in.